Our scripture reading today is Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. And our message today is entitled, The Son of Righteousness. This is the Lord's word. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his word. <coughs> Excuse me. So we come to the concluding remarks of the prophet Malachi. Today and tomorrow, we will see how the prophet himself charges the people of God to turn and to repent and to charge the people of God to follow him, for in him and him alone is salvation is life. It's a charge that is for us as well today, for those of you who are in Christ, and for those of you who are looking for salvation as well, to turn to the God of righteousness who has bought for you salvation of your souls. As we read through the book of Malachi, as we've gone through this series, we saw these disputations between Malachi himself and the people of God. Malachi himself questioning God's people of their love for him. And then the people of God retorting like little children saying, how have you, how have you loved me? How have I loved you? How have we not worshipped you wholeheartedly? How have we not honored you with our relationships? We, we've honored you. And God looks down upon them and says, people of God, you have fooled yourself into thinking that you have loved me with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. It's a message that is difficult for anyone to hear. It is the message because self-deception is a place that we actually don't mind living in, to deceive ourselves and to find a, a way of living, a way of getting around that sort of makes things, well, it's not good, but at least easier for us for today. But God does not want an easy life for you. God does not want an easy life for the people here in Israel. God wants you and God wants Israel to have life to the fullest, to know him and to rejoice in him, to not be ashamed of the God that they worship, to be able to give of time, energy, resources that God has given you joyfully and gladly to God himself. Not having doubts about the God who saved you. But when you do have doubts, knowing that you can run to the God who has saved you, to run to Christ, and know that in his forgiveness, you can laugh at yourself and give and love generously once again. 
This is the life that God wants for us. This is the type of worship that God asks from us. Because of how great and high his salvation is for us, thus in response should be our love unto him. Here in Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, Malachi sort of um, comes off the last disputation about the people of God arguing, why should I do good? Look at the evildoers around me who do not know you. They, they are getting wealthy. They are healthy beyond measure. The world looks around them and, and gives them applause. What good is it of me, of us, to serve you when there's only suffering and pain? Remember last week, God says unto them very simply, do you not know, do you not know that I myself and my presence in your life is more than the, the things that this world has to offer? That you knowing me and me knowing you, that our relationship as the covenant God is my covenant people, that that covenant relationship that will never be broken, that covenant relationship that is not only for here but for all of eternity is worth more than all the things of this earth. And then if we as God's people simply see God face to face and treasure him, then we can love people Graciously, we can give to the Lord graciously. And so in this chapter, he sort of tags along that. And he says unto us, there, are, there is going to be a day of judgment when the wicked are no more. When the wicked will not even have branches or a root. And not only that, in verse 3, he says to those who know God that you will tread down those who are wicked as well. Now, when you read that passage, that is not licensed for you to go around looking at people who are evil and just pointing fingers at them or, or pounding them down. But this is a reminder to us once again that God's economy of justice and righteousness, of wealth and poverty, of love and hate. That God's economy is the only proper economy, the only proper currency that we should value. Not the dollar, not the yen, not the euro, but God's economy itself that one day there will be judgment and one day there will be righteousness for those who believe. Now, when you read a passage like this, oftentimes you, you're not really thinking about your own life. You're looking around you and going, yeah, I know a lot of people who need to be judged. 
Yeah, I, I walk around my campus or around walk around work. I'm like, that guy's gonna get his uh, get his come up at someday very soon. But when you start to realize when you read passages like this, that the purpose is not simply for us to sort of judge the world around there, because only God is the judge, but it's for us to see as a mirror, a reflection, and to ask ourselves and to look at ourselves and say, only by the grace of God have I been saved. I am the evildoer. I am the one, if I do not know God, who will not flourish, no root nor branch. I am the one who God will justly stomp upon me in judgment because of my disobedience unto him. Righteousness before God. To obey God and to follow him or to disobey God and not to follow him. That's your currency. The rewards are to be with Christ forever and ever. The debt or the punishment is to be trampled on by those who are righteous. We who do not or have not seen God for a while, and for those of us who are stumbling, looking for a way out in life, it is as if you were in darkness, not knowing or not seeing what is next in your life or the purpose of your life as well. Have you ever felt that way? Just completely lost? I remember in college, many, many students changed majors every semester. And I was like, what, why are you keep changing majors? Just pick one and graduate, right? And every semester they're like, I'm not sure what I want. And they're like people in the dark, just sort of grabbing and, and trying to see if they can find a, a handhold or a foothold to figure out something that matches them well. Or perhaps there's, there's someone who's looking for a relationship and you, you go through the apps and you go around and you, you really don't know what you want or you have this huge list of what you want. But either way, you're not sure exactly what it is that you want in life. Darkness. Or you live in a life today with this moral ambiguity, right? And you don't know what's right or what's wrong. And you're trying to figure things out. Living in darkness. And that living in darkness is what our Lord calls living in sin. Because even though we think we are helpless, we chose to live in darkness. But God says here through the prophet Malachi, for those of you who fear the name of the Lord, it will be like the sun of righteousness that will rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves 
from the stall. God has a solution to this for all of us. For those of you who already know the Lord and those of you who are seeking to know what is righteousness. And that is to fear God's name. To fear the name of the Lord. You know, there are certain names that are really scary. Now, I don't know this firsthand, but my, my, my friends who are, uh, well, I'll put this way. Okay. I haven't experienced, I haven't experienced this firsthand because this is when my parents did it. But I have friends who are, who have both an English name and a Korean name or an English name and a Chinese name. And they love their English names but they fear their own Chinese name or Korean name. Because any time they're in trouble, what do the parents say? They call them by their full Korean name or their full Chinese name. And once they hear that name, they know that they're in trouble. There are names that we hear that make us fearful, that make us perk up, that make us understand that there's something big that's about to happen. When God says here to fear my name, God wants you to have an attitude of solemnity, humility, to be sober. When God says, I am Yahweh, the one who brought you out of Egypt, snap out of it. Jesus, the Messiah who came to save you, who loves you, you snap out of it. It is a name that engenders reverence and love from people's hearts. It's a name that engenders memories of what God's faithfulness has been to you. Jesus isn't simply a magic word. Jesus is a person who has come to you. Jesus is someone who has built a history with you. And Jesus is the one who will continue to love you, to nurture you. Fear his name. Fear his presence. Fear him alone. Now you may ask the question, how does fearing God engender joy in me? How does fear in God help me to grow in the Lord himself? We fear God because he's holy, he's righteous, all-powerful, all-knowing. We fear him because he himself can snuff us out in the blink of an eye. We fear him because he and he alone existed before all of the universe. And he and he alone is worthy to be worshiped. There's no reason, there's, there's, there's ample reason why God himself does not show himself fully to people. For we would die in, in the midst of his presence. 
this all-powerful being, all-holy being, we should fear. But this is where God's love comes in. You see, for those of you who fear him, for those of you who understand there's judgment, for those of you who understand that, that you are sinful before him, God says you are right. But I am sending upon you the sun of righteousness that will rise with healing in its wings. So very briefly, number one, God himself, when you fear his name, at the same moment you fear his name, at the same time, he sends upon you the sun that shines and brings you out of darkness. No longer are you lost in your life. No longer do you think that I've made wrong choices. No longer are you, uh, are you paralyzed by the things of this world. No longer do you ask the question, do I move towards this person or, or move away from this person? The question is, how do I move towards this person? What's the wise way to love this person? What is the wise way to be generous? The sun shines upon you and, and gives you the, 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 the paradigm and, and the the blueprint and the map in which to move in life. The sun shines. You are no longer in darkness. For those of you who believe, all God has to do is ask you, open your eyes. <laughs> open the eyes of your heart that you can see God. Open them again. Now, this sun that shines upon you, and this is number two, is not simply this bright light itself, although light does bring healing. But it's a sun of what? Sun of righteousness. This shining of the sun is, is, is righteousness. It's a, it's a compass for us to understand what is morally right and what is morally wrong. What it is that we should do to please God himself. And even more than that is a righteousness that's been given to us in Jesus himself, a righteousness that allows us to move towards a fearful God in love. Perhaps some of you grew up in a household where one of the parents, usually the dad, you were really scared of. But you had that moment where if you brought home straight A's, if you did what was right, you could go to dad and go, look, dad, I did it. And to see your dad smiling at you, the dad you feared, because you brought that perfect report card, it gives you joy. The son of righteousness, Jesus himself, when, when he has bought righteousness for you, you go before the Lord not with your own righteousness, but his alone. And God looks upon you and says, you are my son, my daughter. And the joy that you receive in knowing that 
the God you fear actually loves you, brings about joy in you. The Christian life should not be a life of misery. Let me say that again. The Christian life should not be a life of misery. All too often we hear how hard life is. How difficult life is. How even difficult the Christian life is. Put that aside for a little bit. There's, God understands that. But God also promises, has promised, for those of you who believe that there will be joy to the fullest in knowing him. You see, when, when people come to you and say, you know, how are you doing? How's life? Our, our inclination, and there's nothing wrong with this, our inclination is to share our struggles, right? That, that's, that's the first thing we do. We share our struggles. We share how hard school is. We share how hard marriage is. We share how hard life is. We share about our financial struggles. We share, that, that, that's our first inclination. And after a while, when, when that becomes our conversation all the time, we think that that's basically the, the baseline of life, is to talk about the difficulties that we have in life. But we've got to be careful. We've got to hear the word of God, and we've got to hear God himself. And when we hear the name of Jesus himself, and we, we need to say, even in the midst of this, God is still good. I know where he's taking me. These troubles that I have are not going to tear me down, but these are opportunities for me to see God's handiwork in what he's going to do. This is what he says here, that there will be healing in its wings, that you will... You will you will go out leaping like calves from the stall. When you know God himself is with you and the righteousness of God is with you, you will soar on wings. You will leap like a, like a heifer who's, who's, who's coming out of the stall, like, like who's, who, who finally has freedom and gets some fresh grass for the first time in a long time. There is joy that comes in knowing that God is with you. And this joy that we have in him, in him must come out in our lives. It must show in our lives that the world can see. And so we can, ourselves can know that God is good himself. Brothers and sisters, practically two things. Number one, tell yourself that you are loved by God every day. Tell yourself that Jesus is my Savior every day. Tell yourself that Jesus is my righteousness every day. Tell yourself, I no longer in, live in darkness, I live in light every day. 
tell yourself and talk to yourself about the good things that God has given to you. Be a Christian who preaches the gospel and the power of change to yourself and to all people. There are too many Christians in this world who only see the negative and sinful sides of life. And when you do, you'll be just like the people of Israel. Your worship will be half-hearted. You'll ask God, God, have you given, I've really given me anything good. You'll seek life in relationships that do not honor God. You'll settle for half-hearted worship for yourself as well. You'll complain and say, why do evil people have it good and I have nothing? But instead, practice saying good things about what God is doing. Say to yourself, God, God is changing me. It's, there's a lot of junk in me, but God is changing me. Say to your, your, your spouse, say to your children, say to one another, I know that we have a lot to work on, but God is changing us. God is doing good in us. Say to your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ who are, who are struggling because they feel like the, the, um, their, their job is their identity, their marital status is their identity. Go to them and say to them, listen, God is working in you. God knows what he's doing in you. God is giving you joy. God is giving you life. Stop, stop thinking that God is not good. Let the Lord and the good news of the gospel be that which changes you. Lastly, and I hinted at this, the son of righteousness that is coming, the, the, the son that brings light, that, that, that in darkness shines, the sunshine that is, that is, not, is, a, is a ray that gives life to all. In Luke chapter 1, when Zechariah is singing about the birth of his son, John the Baptist. He talks later on around verse 71 at the end of the song. He talks about the fact that the purpose of John the Baptist is to, is to wait until the true son comes out. The true son that brings righteousness, the true son that brings life. And we know that this is a prophecy about Jesus himself the one who brings light, the one who brings truth, the one who brings healing, the one that allows you to soar in life is Jesus himself. We ask God, God, show me this Jesus that you're telling, that you've prophesied about. Show me this Jesus who came into this world. For those of you who know Jesus himself, brothers and sisters, turn to him who is the light of the world and let him shine truth. For those of you who are seeking truth, 
who are seeking righteousness, who are seeking life. I ask you to look at Jesus. Consider him. Consider what he has done. Consider what he has offered. And I pray that you will see that God himself, through Jesus, can and will give you life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for you alone are good. We confess, Lord God, that we are like the people of Israel, Lord God, that our hearts have grown cold, our hearts have grown bitter, that our hearts have turned to complaining, that we've been emboldened, Lord, to, to doubt your goodness. But Lord, you, send, you sent your prophet to, Mount, to Israel, and you sent your son Jesus to us to remind us once again that we belong to you. Your electing love is sure. That your desire, Lord, is to give us life to its fullness, a healing in, our, in your wings, a joy, Lord, like a calf leaping out of its stall. And so, Lord God, teach us, Lord, to preach the gospel to ourselves and to preach the gospel to others as well, Lord God. Help us, Lord, not to be those, Lord, who act out of bitterness, act out of complaint, but help us to be people who act out of the fullness of the love of Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.